We are live with episode number 332 of the Sean Sports Stuff Podcast. Thank you so much for listening wherever you may be, however you may be listening. I greatly appreciate it. It is Wednesday, January 27, 2021. And as always, as has been the tradition for years, I'm going to be covering the biggest news in sports. There's quite a bit to talk about. Lots of juicy stories, some NBA trades potentially, baseball free agency. Jake Paul's next fight has been announced. Um, some drama in Hollywood with the Rams. But before I get into all that, I want to very quickly thank Crimson IT for sponsoring today's podcast episode. If you or someone you know has a small or medium-sized company that needs managed IT services, go to crimsonit.com, tell them. And if you're interested in what they have to offer, tell them that you found them from the Sean Sports Stop podcast. If you do so, they will give you a very, very nice deal on whatever it is you're looking for for your small or medium-sized company. And with that said, uh, we are going to get right into it, right into it starting with... Jake Paul's next fight. Mr. Jake Paul will be fighting none other than Ben Askren. Yes, that's the, that's the same Ben Askren. The same Ben Askren that got knocked out by a four-second flying knee from by Jorge Masvidal. Uh, he's apparently ready to take the next step up from knocking out NBA Slam Dunk Contest winners. The YouTube star has agreed to a boxing match against former MMA champion Ben Askren on April 17th. Uh, according to Ariel Hawani of ESPN, he is undoubtedly the most credible MMA reporter there is. He's the Woj of mixed martial arts, for those of you that don't know. This is a very interesting fight. Obviously, it's going to be a boxing fight. Jake Paul is technically 2-0 as a professional boxer with two knockouts with wins over Anissa Gibb and Nate Robinson, both of which are not fighters. Jake Paul, as someone who, who boxes quite a bit myself, there's lots of hate on the kid, but the, the reality of the situation is he's been boxing for years at this point. He's been training for years as a professional at this point, at least two years, possibly going into three. So he has to be taken seriously. Ben Askren, yes, he's an MMA champion, but his striking is absolutely horrible. I, I like both guys, to be perfectly honest with you. I know Jake Paul is extremely polarizing. Many people hate him. Many people love him. I would say more people hate him than love him. Ben Askren is kind of just known as the guy that got knocked out by a flying knee very quickly by Jorge, uh, against Jorge Masvidal. And I think that's inc- incredibly sad. I mean, um, Ben Askren is a two-time NCAA Division I wrestling champion. He's a Bellator champion. He's a, he's a pride champion. I mean, he, he, he's been in the cage with, with guys like Robbie Lawler. He, is, he was a top, one of the most dominant fighters in the history of MMA and didn't quite, he didn't reach the pinnacle of success in the UFC. He got caught by a knee against Masvidal. The guy is a, he's an artist. I mean, he's an unbelievable MMA fighter, and it's unfortunate that he's only remembered as the guy that was knocked out by Masvidal. And if he loses to Jake Paul, which I and many people think he will, because his his striking is just inferior. And, yeah, but, it, you know, it's, he's, he's taking up the, it's, it's just, honestly, I'm, I'm very, I have very mixed feelings about it because as a hardcore boxing fan, it's just, it's upsetting. It's upsetting knowing the guys that are in these gyms that have been working their asses off for their entire life, coming from Mexico, coming from um, underprivileged areas in, in the United States, coming from Russia, all these places. Not, they don't have, they don't get the same opportunities that Jake Paul just gets to waltz in and make millions and millions and millions of dollars in these fights. I mean, he literally showed proof of funds of $50 million for a potential Conor McGregor fight. So it's just, it's on, and he, God knows how much he would, how much more he would make off the pay-per-view buys and, and a potential gate if fans are allowed. But he is fighting um, Ben Askren and Ben Askren said, quote, I know Jake Paul is enjoy, is enjoying pretending to, he is a fighter. 
I think on April 17th, he's going to have a rude awakening to what being a fighter is really like. Jake has led a privileged life and doesn't really know what the meaning of being a fighter is. I'm going to put his dreams to an end. So Ben Askren was to the point, he's an extremely nice guy. So even when he's when he's trying to come at Jake Paul, I listened to both of their entire interviews with Ariel Hawani. It didn't really... And also, Jake Paul only follows two people on Instagram now. It's Triller, the um, social media company that's broadcasting the fight. It's a part of Triller Fight Club, Snoop Dogg. And Jake Paul had a joint venture in collaboration with Triller. And he also follows Ben Askren's wife. So, you know, he's just... He's, kid, it's, he's a nice kid, but he, he just does these things on, on the internet. And what he wants is, is a negative reaction. He wants people to hate him. He wants people to... to to comment things like stop posting this kid stop talking about this kid that's what makes him more popular um so yeah jake paul's last fight was in november he knocked out nate robinson and became 2-0 as a professional boxer Askren announced his retirement from mma in november of 2019 he was 19-2 overall with one no contest he won 19 of his first 20 fights with the only non-win being a no contest before obviously uh retiring after losses to jorge masvidal and damian maya uh, quote, I started boxing two years ago and I'm still going to knock his ass out faster than Masvidal. These MMA guys think because they, they throw punches, they know how to box. The world complained because I knocked out a basketball player and not a real fighter. So now I'm giving the people what they want by taking on a real fighter. After Ben Askren is added to my knockout meme collection, what can anybody say? Thank you to Triller Fight Club for giving me the platform for once again put a, to once again put a man to sleep. April 17th, it's lights out for Askren. I mean, there's no chance he's going to knock out. Um, Askren in faster than Masvidal did that's what he's predicting Askren said he would stop Jake Paul in the seventh round so it seems I think Askren might be selling himself a little short but at least he's realistic with the with the reality of the fact that his striking is absolutely hot garbage I mean uh, Jake Paul couldn't have um, picked a worse striker other, other than maybe CM Punk Phil Brooks who was briefly in the UFC his striking might be on par with Ben Askren and I don't mean to slander the guy but his striking is just that bad it's uh, but it's genius on Jake's part because casual fans will always be able to say, and they wouldn't know better, that Jake Paul knocked out a MMA world champion. And that is technically true, but Ben Askren is a wrestler by trade. Either way, I'll be tuning in. I'm excited for this. It's going to be the main event. Whether you like it or not, you know, there, there are all these arguments by um, amongst hardcore boxing fans whether, whether or not this is good for the sport of boxing. Personally... I mean, there are different ways to look at it. You know, I, I covered one side a few minutes ago saying that it takes away from other guys' opportunities. But on the other hand, it gets more people watching boxing and it gets millions of people, you know, thinking and talking about the sport and watching the sport. So ultimately, I think it is good for the sport. And But yeah, April 17th should be should be an interesting, should be a fun fight. Dylan Dennis was the number one guy. Ben Askren is also of the belief that Dylan Dennis is scared of Jake Paul. I don't think he's scared of him. I think his knee injury was just that bad. But, I mean, I don't know if, um, with the amount of shit that they've been talking uh, amongst to each other, I think uh, Dylan should should have just fought Jake on a bad knee. I mean, yes, he would always have that as a, as an excuse. But you know, with with all the shit talking, with he, today he came out and said that he wants to fight Canelo. I mean, why not just fight Jake with a bad knee? So yeah, talked about this shit for seven and a half minutes. Now we're gonna be transitioning to football. Obviously, Super Bowl 55 is almost upon us. The dream matchup, the, the, the past versus the present slash future, Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady. But both the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs will reportedly have some key players back on the field for Super Bowl 55 on February the 7th. According to ESPN, Buccaneers receiver Antonio Brown, who had, 
his knee and cornerback Antonio Winfield Jr. ankle are expected to return from injuries. On the other side, running back Le'Veon Bell knee and wide receiver Sammy Watkins calf are expected to play for the Chiefs. So it's awesome to see that both teams are going to be at pretty much full strength. Uh, Steelers, the Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger and their fans are in shambles as Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell somehow on different teams end up making the Super Bowl without the Steelers and without Big Ben Roethlisberger. After debuting with the Buccaneers in Week 9, Brown hold in 45 catches for 483 yards and 4 touchdowns in 8 games. So, you know, it's very solid. I mean, not, not usual Antonio Brown-like numbers, but when you're on such a loaded offense like the Buccaneers, having just having Antonio Brown available is such a weapon. And when, when Tom Brady is the quarterback... It's just ridiculous, to be honest. When you have Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones II, it's just such a loaded offense that guys like Antonio Brown are forgotten, where just a couple years ago, I considered him, just a year ago, I considered him to be the best wide receiver in football. So it's just such a loaded team for the Buccaneers. But obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs are defending Super Bowl champions. I went on the record saying I think the Chiefs are going to win. Um... I've been betting against Tom Brady. That's not a good idea at all. I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, I went with the Packers in the NFC Championship game. That obviously was not true. But it's, it, should be, it should be a great game. Uh, unfortunately, I, I just wanted the Packers in. I wanted Aaron Rodgers to get a second ring. The fact that Patrick Mahomes will is one game away from having more rings than, than Aaron Rodgers is... It's almost upsetting, to be honest. It's almost upsetting because, like I've been saying, especially with all the talk about him, and there's going to be more on him in just a minute, very soon, if you're interested. But it's almost upsetting on a personal level where I consider Aaron Rodgers to be the greatest quarterback, the most talented, not the greatest, the best quarterback of all time, the most talented quarterback of all time. But the guy is 1-4 and four in NFC Championship games. He has won a Super Bowl to date. He's probably not going to win another one. I mean, this year was as good as ever. He put up absolute MVP numbers. Their offense was historically great. Um, They've had a great coach in Matt LaFleur up until that decision to kick a field goal down by eight points with two minutes left in the fourth quarter facing Tom Brady. But overall, I'm just I'm not sure if their window and he's he's going to demand more money. So I'm just I'm just not sure if that Aaron Rodgers will win more than one Super Bowl. And in this era of comparing greatness by how many championships players win obviously the whole goat debate in the nba between lebron james and michael jordan saying that mj is six and zero in the finals and lebron is four uh four and six um you know that that gets tossed around a lot and it's the same in the nfl tom brady is going into his 10th super bowl he has six super bowl championships he's six and three in the super bowl he's made it now 10 times he's made it to the super bowl in over half of his professional career in more than 50% of his total seasons played, he's been in the Super Bowl. That is absolutely insane. It is ridiculous. The guy is not more talented than Aaron Rodgers. He's just simply, he's not more talented than Peyton Manning. He's not, but he finds a way to win. He finds a way to get it done. And you, he's the kind of guy where you dislike him or me personally, I don't dislike him, but you just, no, I'm going to just say, I, I, I dislike him, not as a person, but just, I dislike how how successful he is, but no, I can't say that either, I just can't say that I, that I particularly like the guy, but I respect his greatness, I mean, his greatness is unmatched, it's, it's absolutely unmatched, that's why he's the greatest quarterback of all time, again, 
I have to make this distinction. Greatest and best, in my opinion, in sports are not the same thing. It's it's a subjective kind of thing. Um, best quarterback of all time, Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion. Greatest quarterback of all time, the guy that gets it done, the guy that shows up in the playoffs, the guy that has that aura around him is Tom Brady, but he's not the best. Same thing in the NBA. I think the best player of all time is LeBron James with, with his athletic ability, with everything. I mean, the guy just dropped... 46 points in his 17th season just two nights ago. He's leading the Lakers to the best record in the NBA in his 17th season. You put him on any team in the NBA, they're an instant finals contender. They will almost certainly make the NBA finals. But the greatest basketball player of all time, it's Michael Jordan. I mean, the guy was special. He was 6-0 in the finals, never lost in the NBA finals. So there's that distinction between greatest and best. I'm sure there are people that agree with me. I'm sure there are people that disagree with me on that. That's my personal opinion. I think when you talk about goats in sports, there has to be a distinction, especially in team sports. No, I would say only in team sports between greatest and best. So, yeah, that's that's the latest. I don't know how I uh, transi- transitioned so much from uh, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell to, to the goat debate between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. But speaking of Aaron Rodgers, there is an update from the CEO of the Green Bay Packers. And he said, quote, we're not idiots. Aaron Rodgers will be back. He's our leader. But you see, Mr. Murphy, Mark Murphy, the CEO of the Green Bay Packers. The thing with that is you believe that you have a choice. Ultimately, it is Aaron Rodgers' decision whether he will come back or not. And that has nothing to do with you being an idiot or you not being an idiot. Um. Aaron Aaron said, quote, a lot of guys' futures, they're uncertain, myself included. I've covered this previously. ESPN reported Rodgers is not on the trade market, but could fetch at least a first-round draft pick as well as a second or third round during a deal. Uh, the Packers prepared for a future beyond Rodgers by drafting Jordan Love in the first round last year. A trade could allow the team to start fresh with the new quarterback and use the picks to build around him. I'm not sure why they would do that. Um, I mean, he's... He's a top three quarterback right now. There's no doubt about it. He's far from finished despite being 37 years old. He's, in my opinion, he's the MVP this year. Led the league in passing touchdowns and completion percentage and passer rating while throwing only five interceptions. Green Bay had the number one scoring offense. They should have made the Super Bowl. They didn't. They only scored three points off the three turnovers that the three picks that were thrown by Tom Brady. But that's what I'm saying. Tom Brady throws three picks, but he still throws three touchdowns. He just finds a way to win. Aaron Rodgers does not. He just does not find a way to win in the playoffs. Hesitant to call him a playoff choker, but it's getting pretty close. It's getting pretty close to that. And uh, transitioning to more on Mr. Aaron Rodgers. After leading the Packers to a 13-3 record and in an NFC Championship game, quarterback Aaron Rodgers reportedly desires some clarity and a commitment from the team. According to Pro Football Talk, Rodgers wants a new contract on the heels of a dominant regular season that will almost certainly net him his, net him his third career NFL MVP award. This obviously, obviously, you know, if you haven't heard me just saying this, comes after Rodgers expressed his uncertainty about his future in Green Bay after losing to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, so he's under contract through 2023, but he's due to make only, only $23.2 million in 2021, $25.5 million in 2022, and $25.5 million in 2023, which are low numbers compared to what most quarterbacks will make during that stretch. Honestly, if I'm him, I... I keep like what's wrong with like dude you're making 25 and a half million a year that is nothing to sneeze at you got the state farm commercials you're chilling why not try to build a team around you like do what Tom Brady does build a team around you like 
you're not you're not going to be making five million a year. It's twenty five and a half million a year. You've made hundreds of millions in your career so far, with all things considered. I don't see why he would want more money. Uh, he's fifth among NFL quarterbacks in quote new money value at thirty three and a half million per year, behind Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs, Deshaun Watson of um, yeah, we're not we're not going there. Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson of the Seahawks, Ben Roethlisberger of the Steelers. He's, he's sensational. He's obviously worth thirty three million a year at this point. But if I'm him, I just, I just he he's seeming a little egotistical. I mean, I get, I, I guess when you're the best quarterback of all time, in my opinion, you have you um you look at things differently, and I I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. I'm not. I'm not I I'm not that good at anything as the way he is so I can't I can't say but if I was him which I most certainly am not I would try to build a team you know around the Packers and and not want that extra money but but hey I'm sure the Packers will be more than willing to give him more money and keep him around I'm sure they will be Transitioning to baseball, some baseball free agency. The Philadelphia Phillies have agreed to a five-year contract worth $115.5 million with a catcher, JT Romuto. But he's not hes not an ordinary catcher. He's widely considered to be the best catcher in baseball. Um, he will be making $23.1 million a year. That's the highest ever AAV for a catcher in the history of baseball. Of his $20 million salary for 2021, half is deferred to help the Phillies with pandemic cash flow issues. So that's really cool. You see, that's, that, that's how you help the team out. Uh, so John Heyman reported Romuto's deal includes a $1 million assignment clause if he's traded. Who knows? I mean, a five-year contract, anything could happen. On January 15th, it was reported, and I covered this, it was reported the Phillies had put a five-year author offer worth slightly north of $100 million on the table. That aligns with the hiring of Dave Dombrowski as president of baseball operations, the former Red Sox uh, president of baseball operations. Philadelphia acquired Romuto from the Miami Marlins in February 2019, sending George Alfaro, Sixto Sanchez, and Will Stewart to Miami. That still might be a losing trade. I mean, Sixto Sanchez is can potentially be one of the best starting pitchers in baseball. So we're still yet to see how that trade will fully pan out. But JT Romuto is sensational. He was his usual self during the 2020 abbreviated season. He had 11 home runs, 32 RBIs, a 266, 349, 491 slash line. His 1.7 war was tied for second among catchers. And the 29-year-olds had a career high and weighted on base per average at 361. So clearly he is worth the money. Uh, and defensively, he's sensational as well. Um, he's he's sensational defensively as well. And um, yeah, now, now switching gears to the NBA. The NBA trade deadline is, is nearing. And with that, you know, the rumors come in. Will Lonzo Ball be on a different team soon? The New Orleans Pelicans have received trade interest in veterans, veteran guards Lonzo Ball and J.J. Redick, I'm, I guess. Lonzo's a veteran. He's in his fourth season. Uh, Shams Cherania reported the Pelicans have, quote, shown an openness to discuss around both with interested teams, but nothing is really imminent. Um, I think a, a trade, trading Lonzo Ball would make sense both for the Pelicans and Lonzo. I mean, they've been absolutely mishandling him completely. He's someone that needs the ball in his hand. He needs to facilitate the offense. I was talking to my friend yesterday, and he he brought up a very good point that other than his rookie season with the Lakers, Lonzo didn't was never really uh, given the keys to the offense. And when he was in his rookie season, he was going off. He was balling. Yes, there were the injuries, but after that, he was always behind someone. He was behind Rajon Rondo. He was behind his Isaiah Thomas with the Lakers, behind Drew Holiday with the Pelicans. Now Eric Bledsoe. There's. Uh, Nickel Alexander Walker as well. So there's just always someone 
preventing Lonzo from being that guy. And I mean, what's he doing now? He's passing the ball. He's very pass first, and he's standing in the corner. He's playing like a shooting guard, which he's not. Yes, he's he's actually a, a pretty good shooter, but that's not the way he's supposed to. Not supposed not the way he was supposed to be played. But I have to say, I mean, there are lots of people calling him a bust. I don't think he's a bust. I think he's extremely talented. But if he gets traded to a system that's that works for him like the Clippers where they need a true point guard and Lonzo needs a team that needs a true point guard and it doesn't work and then yo at that point I'm not going to be calling him a bust he's good enough to be a role player in the NBA but then it's not the team's fault when it's the third team third like who how many coaches has he had already when it's I'm saying if he goes to the Clippers or a team like that the Knicks the Warriors and it doesn't work out like for the Warriors, he could be the, the point guard off the bench. He could be the, the leader of the second unit. I, I think that'd be a great fit. The Clippers, I think, would be a better fit personally because they don't have a single true point guard. Like Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly are not it. I'm sure Lou Williams would, would go to New Orleans in a, in a potential trade. There are also rumors of Lonzo and J.J. Redick being traded in a package. So perhaps J.J. Redick will make his return to the Clippers. Funny fact, actually, J.J. Redick lived across the street from me when he was with the Clippers in the build... Uh, luxury apartment building across the street from where I'm at so that was pretty funny so um according to Ian Begley of SNY one team said the Pelicans will not trade ball without receiving a significant return so that shows they still believe in him that that shows that either they still believe in him or they're trying to finesse teams I think they still believe in him but they just want to move in a different direction for the sake of both parties because they still they have Killian Hayes not Killian Hayes excuse me they have oh man I forgot forgot that the, the rookie point guard that the Pelicans have. They have Alexander Walker, Eric Bledsoe, and um, man, it's just it's just not coming to my head that from, I believe he was from the University of Alabama. But Lonzo and the Pelicans were not able to reach an agreement on a new contract before the deadline to do so in December. His agent, Rich Paul, the infamous, famous Rich Paul of Clutch Sports, indicated to Woj at the time that both sides remain positive about the ability to move forward together. Lonzo is due to be a restricted free agent in the offseason, which could potentially yield a lesser return since he could get traded to a team like the Knicks and leave after just this season, while J.J. Redick will be an unrestricted free agent. I, th- I still think he has time in the league. Um, I mean, it's it, it, it's somewhat surprising also that they that they want to trade him because he's only 23 years old and they're still, he's he's like, he's with the, the whole team. The Pelicans team is so young. You have Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. Like, other than J.J. Redick, there's, there's, there aren't any, like, and Eric Bledsoe, there aren't any true veterans on that team. Um, he's struggling. I mean, he's averaging 12 points, five assists, and four rebounds while shooting 38.9% from three and t- from the field, excuse me, and 29% from three. He knocked down 37.5% from three during his encouraging 2019-20 season. So he's just up and down. He's streaky. He doesn't have a true fit with the Pelicans team. I think he would really thrive with a team like the Clippers. But if he doesn't, then I think all bets are off. So it was reported that, that the Pelicans and Golden State Warriors talked over a swap involving Kelly Oubre Jr., even if Lonzo was not included in those discussions, it possibly signals a desire for the Pelicans to strengthen their depth on the wing, making a Lonzo trade one avenue through which that could happen. JJ, meanwhile, is a far more logical candidate to go before the March 25th deadline. I was honestly confused as to why they signed JJ Redick in the first place. I remember it was a couple years ago. JJ had a great season with the Philadelphia 76ers. He talked about how much he loved playing with Philly. And all of a sudden, he signed a pretty big two-year contract with the Pelicans. It was the first signing of that free agency period. And it just came absolutely out of left field. 
It didn't make sense for the Pelicans as far as their timeline. JJ was talking about how he loved the 76ers. It just didn't make much sense. So it looks like their time might be coming to an end. Now transitioning to back to baseball. Marcus Simeon, Marcus Simeon agreed to a one-year contract worth $18 million, according to uh, Jeff Passan of ESPN with the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are making moves. They signed George Springer. They signed Hyunjin Ryu last season. They have a very nice young core in Kavon Biggio, Bo Bichette, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. They tried to get Michael Brantley as well, but they are clearly in win-now mode. Uh, Jeff Passan reported on December 14th that Simeon looked likely to resolve his future soon. Interested suitors also viewed him as a cost-effective solution ahead of the 2021 offseason. I mean, that 2021 offseason is insane. Quote, although the 30-year-old Simeon is unlikely to command that kind of deal that will take him deep into his 30s, one executive said he appreciates Simeon for his steadiness, versatility, makeup, and yes, price point. What he meant, Simeon is not going to cost nine figures like some of the shortstop, shortstops in the mega class of 2021-22. Some teams are already preparing for this for the shortstop Belusa. Yeah, I mean that's Sean Sports stop. Uh, it's a it's a spin on shortstop. But anyway, uh, of next offseason, which barring extensions will feature Javier Baez, Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager, and Trevor Story, five All Stars, all of which will hit free agency at 28 or younger. So that that free agent class, as far as shortstops go, and just overall, will be absolutely ridiculous. After winding up third in the American League MVP voting in 2019, Simeon took a pretty big, pretty big step back in 2020. He finished with seven home runs, 23 RBIs, and a 223, 305, 374 slash line in 53 games, and his slugging percentage was 121st. So he went from being third in, in MVP voting in the American League to 121st overall slugging percentage-wise amongst qualified uh, hitters. The Oakland A's did win the American League West by, by seven games, but lost to the division division rival Houston Astros in the AL Division Series. So it's a it's a great pickup for the for the Blue Jays, in my opinion. Marcus Simeon gets paid as well. Yes, 18 million is nothing to sneeze at, but but it's nothing to sneeze at. But for a team like the Blue Jays, I've said this before, I'll say it again. With the George Springer signing, when you're a team like the Blue Jays and you want someone like that, that's the kind of money you have to pay up. When you're the Charlotte Hornets and you want someone like Gordon Hayward, you want a top free agent. You have to overpay a little bit because you're a small market team. You don't have that kind of same leverage that big market teams do. And speaking of big market teams, speaking of big market teams, Los Angeles Rams passing game coordinator Shane Waldron is headed to Seattle. The Seahawks have announced that they are hiring Waldron as their offensive coordinator. The Rams have now lost their passing game coordinator to the Seahawks, their Defensive coordinator to Brandon Staley to be the head coach of the LA Chargers, just, you know, in the same stadium. And they also lost, I believe, their cornerbacks coach to the Detroit Lions. Waldron will take over for Brian Schottenheimer, who served in the role for three seasons. Um, I mean, I mean, he's worked with the Rams since head coach Sean McVay joined the franchise in 2017. The pair came west together from Washington. McVay literally brought everybody that he knew from Washington that he worked with, and it worked really well with the Rams. Um, we're yet to see how, how big of a loss this will, this will be for the Rams. I mean, they've lost quite a bit of coaches more, more on the Rams later in the episode. Nice, um, length, lengthwise episode, this, this one, I'm, uh, I'm a little off today on the, on the podcasting, but I hope you guys are enjoying, enjoying it. I'm certainly enjoying it. We are switching gears back to baseball free agency amid differing reports from, uh, Amid differing reports about the offer the New York Mets have made to free agent starter Trevor Bauer, USA Today's Bob Nightingale offered an update Tuesday night that pointed in a positive direction, saying, quote, 
The Mets are the favorites to land the top starter on the market. A lucrative contract formal offer about 10 days ago. If it was lucrative and it was a formal offer, I'm wondering why it was offered 10 days ago and still not signed. Um, what Trevor Bauer is thinking. Earlier Tuesday, Nightingale said the Mets offer would, quote, approach but not eclipse the $36 million average value that New York Yankees pitcher Garrett Cole was signed to last year, while MLB Network's John Heyman said the offer wasn't quite as large, but the team had, quote, some interest. Mike Puma of the New York Post reported, quote, the likelihood remains strong that Bauer's offer from the Mets will pay him north of $30 million for at least four years with opt-outs included. So that's a very solid contract for Trevor Bauer. Uh, I don't see him getting Garrett Cole kind of money. I mean, nine nine years or whatever it was, $360 million with the Yankees. That's absurd. But Trevor Bauer, he won the National League Cy Young Award after registering a 1.73 ERA through 11 starts for the Cincinnati Reds in 2020. That would round out a very, very nice uh, rotation for the Mets, who already have Jacob deGrom. Uh, he's been as dominant as anybody pitching-wise in baseball. And Marcus Stroman, who is a former Cy Young finalist, if not a Cy Young Award winner. They also added Carlos Carrasco, so that's a fourth or fifth kind of starter. The Mets are gonna be are gonna be hot. They they were in on George Springer. Imagine if they got George Springer and Trevor Bauer and Francisco Lindor. That's a borderline all-star team, but they didn't get Springer. Our friends up north, the Toronto Maple Leaf Blue Jays, got uh, Springer. And transitioning to more baseball, this is a this is a hot one. This is a hot topic. People are are very vocal about this. The Baseball Hall of Fame will not add any new members to Cooperstown for the first time since 1960. After no eligible players received the required number of votes needed for include needed for induction from the members of the Baseball Writers Association of America, candidates must appear on at least 75% of BBWAA ballots to make the hall. No player hit that mark, although starting pitcher Kurt Schilling led the group just 16 votes short of election. Joel Sherman of the New York Post and MLB Network provided results for, for some notable names. Uh, so Schilling fell 16 votes short at 71.1%. Barry Bonds was at 60.7%. Roger Clemens was at 61.6%. And nobody else um, was above half of the 414 total ballots. Typically, for those of you that don't know, one or more or the Baseball Hall of Fame's ER era committees would meet to potentially vote in any non-playing personnel or players no longer eligible for the BBWAA ballot. The golden days from 1950 to 1969 and early baseball before 1950 committees were scheduled to get together this year, but because of the COVID-19 pandemic, those meetings have been moved to the fall of 2021 for candidates' potential inclusion in the Hall's class of 2022. That means that the Baseball Hall of Fame class of 2021 will simply not exist, but they will still count as not getting in. Although the Hall plans to officially induct class of 2020 members Larry Walker, Derek Jeter, Marvin Miller, and Ted Simmons on July 25th, after their previously scheduled ceremony, one set for July 2020, was canceled because of the pandemic. What else could it have been? Uh, according to CBS Sports' Matt Snyder, the BBWAA specifically did not, did not induct any players in 1945, 1950, 1958, 1965, 1971, but have struggled to get over the 75% threshold because of their performance-enhancing drug use. I, I mean, there are multiple arguments. They're, they, clearly, they're showing a no-tolerance policy 
as far as the Hall of Fame goes on PEDs. I wonder how that's going to fare with Alex Rodriguez and David Ortiz in next year's class. But that's a whole different story. We're not going to get into that. We're going to talk about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. I just, I understand the argument of they cheated, they shouldn't make it in. But the fact of the matter is Barry Bonds was a had a Hall of Fame career before he ever injected anything into his veins, before he did any steroids, before he grew to be a 300-pound behemoth uh, Hulk. <laughs> He, he, I mean, his career was sensational. So I think they should get in. I've been, I've been vocal about this. I think they should get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Bonds and Clemens have, uh, I mean, they they both got close, but they because of a combination of writers believing they were worthy of entry before their PED use began, and others who feel they excelled in an in an era, in an era rampant with PED. I mean, yo, it was literally called the steroid era. It was called. And it still is called the steroid era, the time that where Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were playing. That means everybody was doing it. So why why are they being blacklisted out of the Hall of Fame? It makes no sense to me. And to me, the biggest argument for my point is that they were playing. They had an entire Hall of Fame career before they were ever caught doing steroids. Uh, But Bonds and Clemens um, have typically fared better among voters who make their ballots public than those who remain private. Pretty obvious as to why. Kurt Schilling has fallen out of favor with several voters because of his extremist views. He publicly backed far-right conspiracy theories and made several racist comments during his post-playing career. He recently sent out tweets in support of the pro-Trump mob who overtook the United States Capitol building on January 6th. Um, Joe Posnanski of The Athletic wrote he was taking Schilling off his 2021 ballot because of his offensiveness. Quote, it isn't, Schilling, it isn't Schilling's politics, it's his nastiness, it's his intolerance, it's his compulsion to troll. Kurt Schilling pushes anger and fear and hatred, he wrote. Omar Vizquel was accused of, of a pattern of domestic violence by his wife Bianca dating back to 2011. He denied the allegations which are being investigated by MLB. Ken Rosenthal, who reported alongside Katie Strang details of the allegations against Vizquel, wrote that voting for Vizquel kept him up at night and that he, quote, hates his ballot, which also includes the likes of Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling. So again, with the Baseball Hall of Fame, character is a huge aspect. It's 50% your on-field accomplishments and 50% your character and what they value and how they perceive you and the things you've done in your personal life and whether you're racist or not. And I don't know if it should be like that. I don't know if it should. I mean, the Baseball Hall of Fame is not the, I don't know, good guy's Baseball Hall of Fame. It's the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's what you did playing baseball but that's not the that's what I think it should be. That's not the way it is. And as a result, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling will probably never make it into the Hall of Fame. I don't think Barry Bonds even cares anymore. But um Yeah, it's um I don't think I think they should get in. I think Barry Bonds should get in. Even though he's a major asshole, I still think he should get in. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are transitioning to the last story of this episode of Sean's Sports Talk. This was episode number 332. If you enjoy the show, please leave any kind of review on iTunes, positive, negative, what have you. It really means the world to me. That's how I get better if it's negative. And if it's positive, that's awesome. I mean, I love seeing that stuff. Of course, follow me on Instagram at theboy62. That's T-H-A-B-O-Y-Y-62. And let's get into it. The last story, the Los Angeles Rams are reportedly planning an open quarterback competition between Jared Goff and John Wolford heading into next season. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network reported the Rams came away so impressed with Wolford's performance in place of Goff that he has a chance to wrestle away the starting job. That's insane. 
They're paying Jared Goff $130 million. At one point, I was on board of the Wolford train. I think I made that clear on this on this show. But Jared Goff led you to a Super Bowl. I mean, you've seen John Wolford play. You've seen him play in one game, and he's taken five snaps in the second game. It's just too small of a sample size, but I guess that's why they're doing a competition in training camp. Perhaps this is merely a move to light a fire under Jared Goff's ass, and and you know because he was pissed when he didn't when he didn't get to start against the Seahawks. Uh, so perhaps this is just Sean McVay trying to light a fire under uh, Jared Goff's ass. But hopefully this doesn't fracture their relationship as they're or I mean permanent permanently detonate their relationship as there have been reports that their relationship is currently strained. Uh, it is also possible that the Rams trade Goff this offseason as the former number one overall pick is clearly losing favor within the organization. Rams general manager Les Sned refused to endorse Goff as the team's long-term starter on Tuesday. Quote, not going to get into specifics on those. That's the beautiful mystery of the future. Jared Goff is a Ram at this moment. It's way too early to speculate. That tells me that he's as good as gone. I mean, that he's either as good as gone or that he's going to be a backup or that he's going to be cut. If any team in the NFL, any coach, any GM, anyone in that kind of position says anything other about a player, says anything other about a player other than this is our guy, we love this guy, he's our team leader, we're going with him moving forward. If there's any kind of this shit about like speculation or anything like that, he's gone. He's 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 gone. I don't. And it sucks. I'm a, I'm a golf fan. I mean, I've been back and forth. He's had a it was he he's had a pretty bad year this last year, but he showed up against the Seahawks with a broken thumb. He had a good game against the Packers in the in the NFC divisional round but we'll see I mean John Wolford is he John Wolford broke a record he became the 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 um first rookie I believe it was the first rookie quarterback to rush for to it was to pass for 200 yards and rush for 50 yards so it's going to be healthy it's going to be healthy competition if they even give Jared the chance to compete I mean there have been talks about a potential Deshaun Watson straight so ladies and gentlemen this is all we have for this episode of, this episode of Sean Sports Talk. thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you guys on the next one